Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Emily Nicola. Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where we just shout each other's names. <laughs> Columnist at the Montreal Gazette and Le Devoir. And I'm excited and shouting your name because um, you are Canada Land's new French media correspondent. Uh, welcome back to Shortcuts. Thank you. Today on the show, your curfew, my lockdown. I am sad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> also, had fun storming the castle? What happens the week after your siege does not pan out? Again, glad to have you with me. Glad to be here. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Ryan Walsh, Ashley North, Thomas, Megan Rose, Shed Simis, Renee Guerra Salazar, Shane Martin, and Yusuf Ismail. So my name is Yusuf Ismail. I live in Toronto. And the reason I support Canada Land is because as a millennial African immigrant, um, I just felt like there was nothing in the media landscape of Canada that kind of resonated with me. Through Canada Land, Jesse's you know incisive style of argument uh, and interviewing, slightly combative, is exactly what I'm looking for. The whole 
Canadian politeness thing really doesn't vibe with me. And uh, I appreciate somebody who's uh, critical. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm a lifelong fan and a proud contributor. Emily, we are under lockdown in Ontario. You are under curfew in Quebec. We're both grounded. How's it going over there? I think it's hard on a lot of people. I'm lucky. I live on my own, which means I'm allowed to go for a walk with one person during day hours. If I was living with people, I could not even do that. So that's where that's where we're at. How is it going over, over in Toronto? Not good. You know, everybody couches things in terms of like... I'm lucky. I'm incredibly lucky. I can't imagine if you had a a two-bedroom apartment and two kids in school and two people who both had to work from home. Like, I don't know how you do that. So it's good that we are thinking about people who are less fortunate than ourselves. But when you ask me how I'm doing, I only have my own experience and I'm not doing well. And, you know, to tell kids who've been doing this for two weeks that there's another month, like my youngest has a headache at the end of every day, you know, like we're not okay. It sucks, and I don't want to whine because we're all making these sacrifices. But in the context of this show, like everybody's just like complaining about the premier and the government. This is a media criticism show. I think it's fair to talk about, at least in Ontario, we can talk about Doug Ford as a media brand. You know, like our premier wanted to be a media brand. He wanted to circumvent the press, and uh, he made his own news channel. He wants to control the message. He wants to avoid the questions. So I think I can do that here, right? Like I can apply media criticism to to Doug Ford as a media brand. Is that okay? Yeah, I, th- I think it's okay too. If I can also do the same, François Legault here or even Doug Ford, there's a lot of criticism. The question is, you know, how much airtime is the position are actually getting? Mm-hmm. So the brand remains strong despite it all. So everybody's unhappy, but a lot of folks are also accepting their fate. Basically, is is what's going on. There's a lot of um, a position to government coming both from, I mean, the QAnon people we have in Quebec and the people who just don't want to wear masks and the people who've been out there uh, mocking public health restriction since almost a year now. But with the curfew, there's also a lot of questions that are asked in terms of, is that even effective? One uh, MNA, uh, I think it was Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, asked about, you know, what are the scientific proof of the fact that the cur- a curfew would work? And the answer from the minister was basically that he was building conspiracy theories. You know, there's not even room anymore to to ask questions. And there's also a lot of concerns for the people who are most vulnerable. Like if you cannot leave your apartment, if you live in a very small apartment in the city, uh, if you live in a crowded apartment, if you have a situation that's really, you know, unstable or explosive at home, or if you don't have a home at all, what we've been seeing as well is just homeless people been given tickets. There's been a growing concern call for people to exempt uh, people who are homeless from the curfew. Basically, the government thinks that it's feasible for everyone who lives on the street to go to a shelter at night, which really is not the way it works. 
But in, in spite of those calls, there's still no answer. The police can still harass people who are homeless. So there's a lot there's a lot of concerns. It's it's interesting because now it makes, in a way, uh, people on the left, people who are concerned for the rights of uh, people who are marginalized, sort of agree <laughs> with the people on the right who are really concerned about individual freedoms. And so it's one of those rare moments in politics. But despite all that, actually, Lego is still really popular. So I don't think, I think logic is expired. I mean, logic is expired and questions are forbidden. That's the scary part. If you say, okay, you're asking an incredible ask for, for me to be under curfew, show me the data. And the answer is you're a conspiracy theorist. Stop asking that question. That's terribly frightening whether you're on the right or the left. You know, that, that, that one story that went viral from Quebec, a woman was ticketed by a cop for walking her dog. Her dog was her husband on a leash. And I just thought, I fucking love Quebec. <laughs> like, that is exactly what I want to see. That's the human spirit prevailing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say. Like, in looking at our media brand here, media brand Doug Ford, uh, you know, not critiquing the person, going to critique the brand. Fuck that brand. It's a messy brand. I mean, just in terms of like, we try to communicate clearly in media and Doug Ford is running a, a high budgeted media operation, but his messaging has been confusing, you know, to the point of incomprehensible. You know, we, we aren't telling people if they have to walk their dog around the block, as Dr. Williams said, walk your dog. If you need to stretch your legs, walk around the block. All we're asking is for cooperation for the people. Please stay home. That, that, that's what we're This asking. new lockdown we're under, Emily, a non-essential business can offer curbside pickups to citizens who are not allowed to leave their homes for non-essential purposes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> evictions. I don't even know. Evictions in Ontario, we were told in the announcement, evictions are frozen. Great. It's about time. Sorry, the government then announces, evictions are not frozen. That was a typo. That was an error on our part. And then when everybody balks at that, okay, 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 okay. We take it back. Uh, our mistake stands evictions are frozen once again. So I think they need a new copywriter. Their shit is really fucked up, which I think Ontarians would forgive. You know, this is a new thing. You make some mistakes. If that was the only problem, we could forgive it. But you add to that a government that is in their messaging, preaching self-sacrifice while their own minister is off traveling to St. Bart's hypocrisy in demanding that every person, every family, every child make these personal sacrifices when our premier will not ask industry, you know, non-essential factories are allowed to stay open. And we just had a, a, an episode about how those are the second biggest sources of spread in, in workplaces like that. So back to your point about questioning, what well, is this really going to stop things? I mean, how does this scan when your buddies in the construction industry, Doug Ford, are allowed to keep operations going? And we know uh, the data tells us that that spread is happening in those workplaces. So it just doesn't make sense. And even that maybe people would excuse under the excuse of, you know, avoiding economic collapse or whatever. But this is the part that galls me. Meanwhile, you've got this media brand, Doug Ford Media, planting stories in the press through Navigator, the crisis communications right. firm, planting stories that from now on we should refer to Doug Ford as premier dad. And he talks to us like he's our fucking dad and we're like misbehaving children. I've issued a stay-at-home order for all Ontarians. We're asking you, please stay home. Only go out. Yeah, we, we definitely have that in common. There's different styles of that, right? But François Legault, I mean, it's definitely been what he's been going for. There's a lot of satires out there, just how much uh, of a 
he's that's really much uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to be a father also in a Catholic sense but like it's there's a lot of that going on I I just I don't know who it's working for but it's working for some one one thing I really I heard that I think also applies to both the kind of governments that we have is uh Uh, Hélène Buzetti, which is a national correspondent uh, for for Le Devoir, but she was on Radio-Canada, I think, two days ago or yesterday, saying uh, Quebec has a government of the suburbs. And I think Mm. it's very true as well of Dockford. There's basically, uh, there's one actually, a CAC MNE in the island of Montreal. It's very much a suburban government. That means that everybody making a decision in Quebec City are, you know, living in two or three, you know, story houses with a backyard and maybe a homemade skating ring and have a lot of space if they're getting in each other's face because they're stuck at home, they can, you know, just go to the basement. And that's really not the reality of the city. So I think there's a lot of things in what you're saying as well about, you know, the decision of the Dockford government that for me sound like that a little bit as well, just people having no sense of how people, you know, actually live. They they need to have people who are more connected to the ground, more more connected to just like working class folks. Tell them actually the rules that you're making up don't work because X and Y, right? And we've been it's been the same as what with the liberal government in Ottawa. It's just like there's a class privilege that makes that that there's people brainstorming the the rules have no idea of how you know, how they can actually apply to or not apply to a lot of folks. Back to your earlier point about how people who are, I suppose, considered on the left or progressive or concerned about how cops are going to be shaking down minorities or how it's illegal to exist if you're homeless, finding common cause with perhaps Legault supporters or previous Legault supporters, uh, there is a breaking point. I mean, we're talking about uh, projections of 20,000 cases a day in Ontario. And beyond my condemnation of Doug Ford, I'm sorry, the Doug Ford brand, I'm just terrified of the ineptitude. Like, this is who's going to steer us through that. So at some point, those the suburbs and downtown and left and right meet in just, like, we're being poorly governed. And a spin campaign via navigator through the papers can only get you so far. Like, at a certain point, that even backfires against you. And it's, it's fuck you, dad. What happens when everybody decides that our governors are completely incompetent, manipulative, hypocritical, maybe even malicious at the same time? I don't know here that people are thinking people are manipulative. There's incompetence uh, more than that. But I, I just think it's also perhaps w- what you're talking about is perhaps one of the reasons why it's not necessarily showing in the polls in terms of support for one party uh, versus the other, because what we're seeing is just frustration of the political class in general. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily, yeah, about, you know, if the liberals were, were in power, it would be so much you know better. What we're seeing right now, and I think that's the the big debate that, yeah, we might all agree that things are not doing great, but when it comes to the solutions and we don't agree on what the solutions are. And I think when we get to that, the conversation is going to be difficult again and, and the coalition is going, to, <laughs> is going to implode. But it's just the whole question of why we got there, right? If people have been not funding the public health care system since the last 30 years, cutting and cutting and cutting, because you want to have, you know, fiscal balance and all of that, uh, then yeah, we're in a pandemic. The emergency rooms are full and the nurses are quitting because they're underpaid. And the only, when there is an increase in health budgets, we only give that money to doctors. And so those are structural issues that literally all the parties that have governed and all provinces across Canada are responsible for. So this is about the ruling class and 
And it's a, a structural issue that now we're stuck with decisions. You know, some people on the right will try to push this as a reason to have more private care. And some people on the left are like, well, this is what you're left with when you haven't funded the public system properly. But none of that is going to get you to not having your emergency room collapse next week because that's where we're at, right? We're, we're at a number, a question of numbers where in the beginning of February, we might be in really deep trouble, right? And so that's why we have measures like curfew or lockdown or whatever you want to call it, which are all about putting the responsibility back on individuals and government not taking responsibility for the mess that they got us in and saying that it's because the individuals are not behaving properly that, that we're in this mess. And it's nice now to have insight and be like, yes, this is about the government, but also, you know, government fixes is not going to happen in two weeks. So the only thing we can do right now is trying to alter individual behavior as much as possible. And when you do that, obviously, it's the people who are most uh, marginalized and people who are most vulnerable that pay the price. And we're in a trap, Jesse, we're in a trap. Emily, we like to note things that... um it's just like with the big stories going on now, a lot of stuff, big stories that otherwise might have been major topics of conversation are just whizzing past people. And um, we take a moment here to duly note them. Do you have something to duly note today? Yeah. One thing to duly note is that Canada just announced that it's going to have economic sanctions uh, against products that are coming from the region where the Uyghurs uh, in China are subjected to basically mass incarceration and concentration camps and a lot of human rights abuse. So while we're focused on a pandemic and while we're focused on what's been going on in the U.S., there's been that not only human rights crisis, I'd say genocide going on and we're not paying attention. And it's something that, you know, every time there is a genocide ongoing, the world always says never again, we will never look away, we will never pretend we were surprised after the fact and with what's going on with this Muslim uh, minority in the western part of China very much looks like yeah we're doing it again so yeah so it's good that Canada UK and the US are now trying to act a little bit about that but because they don't want to upset China too much the measures are very mild but uh, this can change is perhaps us the public <laughs> trying to uh, learn a little bit more about what's going on over there perhaps that can make a difference. Yeah, and, and you take that and you take what we're seeing in Hong Kong, and if you blink, you'll, you'll miss it. Duly noted. I want to duly note really a shameful and atrocious statement from Aaron O'Toole and put it into some context. Uh, Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole tweeted out on January 5th, not one criminal should be vaccinated ahead of any vulnerable Canadian or frontline health worker. That was in response to a news story about federal inmates uh, receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. I don't know where to begin with, like, the appeal to the basest instincts of um, conservative voters or would-be conservative voters. This idea of just completely dehumanizing people in prisons, and we're talking, you know, like, the, the over-representation of indigenous people in Canadian prisons uh, and, and, and minorities. Uh, but, you know, even if you buy into this idea that inmates aren't real humans, a lot of people work in those prisons. And like these are like places where where viruses can spread incredibly quickly, as Justin Ling documented for us in the early days of the pandemic. It's just an atrocious message. And then you you broaden it out to a wider context. There is a hunger strike in a Saskatchewan prison 
that is not getting a lot of attention. Global News reported roughly 90 people incarcerated at Saskatoon Correction Center and Pine Grove Correction Center in Prince Albert. They all went on hunger strike on Monday, January 4th, two days before Aaron O'Toole's tweet, to protest the province's Minister of Corrections and Policing, Christine Tell. They believe that Tell has not been living up to her mandate of taking care of those who are incarcerated in the province. And uh, just last week, 78 inmates and 15 correction staff across the province were reportedly sick. The outbreak at Regina Correctional Center began to ramp up last month, and that is the context through which uh, Aaron O'Toole throws his message about uh, his desire to deny the vaccine to inmates in prison. Yeah, that's that's just um, ugly. If you don't care that people die of COVID-19 uh, because they're in prison and they've been criminalized by the state, what you're saying is that in your head, if you're a criminal if a person is a criminal, it's okay if that person dies in prison. So but you're basically, you know, for that penalty. And I thought that debate was closed in Canada, but apparently it isn't. Duly noted, Jesse. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems... And just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. What we witnessed was an assault on democracy. Breaking news we've been following south of the border. U.S. President Donald Trump's Twitter account has been permanently banned from the social media site. The social media app Parler, a rival to Twitter used by the alt-right, was shut down. Its hosting services yanked by Amazon. Emily, I want to talk about how successful last week's coup was, the coup attempt. You know, there's like a lot of tough talk and mockery of the mob, of the people involved, the murderous, seditious, treasonous mob, the people who stormed Washington with the intent, explicit intent to kill democratically elected leaders and overturn an election. We, we've been making fun of them. We've been posting mean comments 
under their photographs and making fun of the way they look and their beards and their silly costumes. And I think that the idea is to kind of like um, look down at them and spread this idea that they're losers, that they failed. And yes, uh, they failed to overthrow an election. They failed if their attempt was, and it was, to kill people and to uh, overthrow the will of the people and uh, overturn the results. They failed. But, you know, I believe in the power of symbols and propaganda, and they were very successful. They were way more successful than they ever should have been. They were very successful at creating pictures that never should have been allowed to exist, pictures that I think are going to be with us for decades, maybe for generations. I think they succeeded, and I think we have to acknowledge that. you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, as a person who is of Haitian background, I cannot also not take the time to have a little bit of those jokes about, you know, uh, the U.S. crewing it itself, you know, <laughs> for a change. You yeah. know, yeah, this is this this was a long time coming. I don't, of course, I don't want to laugh about like the people who've died and all like all the obvious like violence and suffering. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, um, I think I saw this joke on the internet two days ago about how maybe now the borders are closed, so Americans didn't have any other option but to invade themselves, um, and <laughs> as you know. <laughs> No, that shit is funny. That shit is funny. And I saw those tweets going around, like, you know, like um, reporting on America as if it's like a, a banana republic and, and, right, use, right. and all, all the terminology fits. And those jokes, I think uh, I have no problem with those jokes. Yeah. OK, cool. Because I think those of us <laughs> with roots in either Latin America and the Middle East, like it's like we, we deserve that space. And then we can move on to more serious analysis. So we can move on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's sort of in a different category. I understand the emotions behind making fun of of, of the furry horn man right. at the podium and, and militia dad at Nancy Pelosi's desk. But those pictures are much more frightening to me than they are humorous. And, um, and they've had an impact. Maybe it's the right impact or a good impact, but I want to explore that impact. We're a week out now, and and as a result, I think of those pictures more than anything. Everybody suddenly realized that Trumpism is really bad, you know. <laughs> like, oh, uh, better late than never. And and you know, once again, uh, we're seeing you know old photos being dug up. Uh, conservative MP Candace Bergen in a MAGA hat. Oh, she shouldn't have been wearing that. Aaron O'Toole, leader of the Conservative Party, once again blasted for um, talking to the rebel. Um, and was it an interview? Wasn't it an interview? I mean, I thought we already did this after Charlottesville. Andrew Shear said, I'm, we're not speaking to the rebel. But, you know, in between, I guess it became acceptable again. And maybe we forgot uh, that Trumpism is bad and uh, the rebel is a proponent of Trumpism. We had the Conservative Party scrambling to delete some very Trumpy propaganda that they'd been spreading about uh, how, you know, rigged elections in Canada. Oh, maybe undermining your own democracy and its processes. Like, that's not a good idea. Suddenly we're having a discourse about the Proud Boys, uh, NDP asking for them to be put on the terrorist list and, and Public Safety Minister Bill Blair, oh, he's going to think about it. So suddenly we all, oh, oh, yeah, this is bad. The Trumpy stuff is bad. Who knew? Well, I don't know who that we is, uh, but it's it's creating a lot of frustration. And I think one of the, you know, if we're going to talk about social media reactions, I think there has been an infinite variation of Black Twitter going, I told you so, <laughs> uh, memes uh, circulating as well. And I think that's really, you know, what you're talking about is this just failure to take uh, 
just like white supremacy seriously and to take fascism seriously. It's basically there's folks who think, well, maybe when we say maybe this guy's a fascist, there's a lot of folks who think it's already, you know, an exaggeration or a caricature as if it couldn't be possible that there were some undemocratic you know, instinct in the U.S., while you people who didn't have the right to vote until civil rights movements, those people are still alive, right? And so the level of denial, I think both sides of the border is really what is getting us into this mess. It's the level of denial that also is implicit in how few police officers were present at, at the Capitol at that time. Mm-hmm. But it's also the same kind of level of denial that made also the RCMP not take, you know, the white mob in Nova Scotia targeting Mi'kmaq fishermen. Like, it's exactly that this kind of benefit of the doubt that uh, angry white mob gets that is also, you know, allowed for, for those images to exist, right? And so, obviously, I'm not advocating for police brutality here. I'm not saying we should have equal police brutality levels. That's absolutely not what I'm advocating for. But I'm just saying that that double standard actually is like a national security concern. And the fact that now on this side of the border as well, you have conservatives trying to hide, you know, their past shows as well that the first political response is not to actually wrestle with our realities, that those ideologies are taking roots in Canada as well, but just to protect our picture and hide it away, right? And I think as long as that's going to be our first go-to move, the movement is going to keep growing. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely a part of it. And we see we see cycles here. We see cycles where those who have for years been ringing alarm bells saying, this is uh, white supremacy, this is a fascist movement, that gets defined as some sort of uh, extremist radical fringe or cancel culture or, oh, you're on this Nazi hunt and you see monsters everywhere and it becomes... Uh, right. Or that makes you that makes you a race columnist and not a right. political columnist. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's, that's right. You're put in, into a bucket. And and then there are these inflection points. And I think that, they, that the media matters and the pictures exist. And it's like, no, we are literally talking about Nazis. See? See? And then there's a brief moment where that's acknowledged. And I I don't want to give any undue credit here. I don't think the credit is deserved. I don't think that anyone woke up and grew a conscience. I don't think the Conservative Party suddenly found the error of their ways. I don't even think that they're being original in distancing themselves from Trumpism at this moment cynically as their own original strategy. Let's look at the wider context here. They're jumping on a bandwagon. And maybe one thing that did change that... I want to discuss with you is this deplatforming. I think that that um, the digital right wing is being radically transformed right now, and it's not just about kicking Trump off of Twitter. We're talking about every platform, and not just Trump, but like a whole circle, uh, network of influence, topics, and then other platforms entirely, like Parler, being thrown off of Amazon servers, and so you know. We can talk about what's happening in Canadian uh, political conversation, but I think I think we're obviously we're just following the trends from the states once again. Yeah, maybe I'm just being a cynical person here, but there's a big difference between you know banning even if it's a huge symbol, you know, one person, even if that person is the president of the United States from a platform, and then saying here is how we're going to run our platforms from now on. 
So there's deplatforming individuals versus deplatforming hate, because uh, if that same discourse comes up in the new person, that person is very like well welcome on Twitter until they also trigger an insurrection. Like, what's the rule, right? So I'm not sure whether this is actually about a concern uh, for a democratic institution or whether it is about, you know, corporate responsibility, seeing the needle of public opinion move and then doing the move that is the people are going to like, but that the platform itself is not necessarily going to change. And that change can be positive and negative, right? There can also be a lot of issues in terms of trying to decide who gets or does not get to be on the platform, and that could be abused as well. But basically what I'm saying is, I don't know if in two years from now, you know, the shock will be passed, and then we're going to have that issue all over again with just new faces, right? Well, you say seeing the, the needle of public opinion move, I think it has moved, but I also think that the balance of power has moved. Right. When it became clear that the Senate was moving to the Democrats, uh, all these tech companies suddenly... Uh, oh, I had no idea that gambling was taking place in this establishment. I had no idea that these Nazis were uh, on my platform. And, you know, should we be giving prizes to, like, Spotify for banning Trump? Like, what, so he can't give us a playlist now? His bitmoji is no longer welcome on Snapchat, I guess. Like, what the fuck? You bring up the right question. Besides just, like, decrying the, the cowardly, callow pylon, like, thanks a lot. Like, after allowing this to happen completely and washing your hands of it, now uh, you're kicking these people off. What is the rule? They point to their terms of service. Oh, you violated our terms. They've been violating the terms of service for years. It is absolutely cynical, reactive survivalism from these companies. And I'm deeply concerned, you know, uh, what is the rule? So we used to say, hey, it's not a freedom of speech issue if Twitter kicks somebody off because they're a private company and you don't have a, a right to speak on somebody else's private platform. You can go speak anywhere else. Well, for that construct to work, then there's like some other place where those people go. But then you've got like Amazon servers denying access to Parler. Now, Parler, I, I, I have no illusions about what happens on Parler. And it's it's filled with anti-Semitism, death threats, the worst kind of speech possible. But it seems like we're in this new regime of just kind of like willy-nilly, ad hoc deplatforming of things that smell Trumpy with no rule book and no distinction between whether you're kicking off individuals or just turning dark entire platforms that are overly associated with some ideology or another. And the decisions are being made by like tech companies. So what did we just accept? Th those who were cheering on what happened in conservative digital circles and the, all the deplatforming, like what new rule book and what new masters have we just agreed to? Yeah, I think it's because, and I mean, we've Quebec has been having I don't know how many headaches because of freedom of speech debates, and I think whenever those debates go wrong, it's because we're conflating issues. I think the big tech companies and their power and how much they're controlling all, on our lives is one issue. Uh, President of the United States using social media to incite an insurrection is another issue. <laughs> and then the growth of the far right is another one. And then there's also the historical context of how basically the reality that you're describing, that corporations are deciding who gets a platform and who doesn't, 
is absolutely not a new reality. And when you look at, you know, who owns traditional media in Canada, it's always been businessmen basically uh, launching their media, using that as a way to platform their ideas and deciding who gets to have a say and who gets to not have a say. So I guess my only concern is when I see that people who were fine, and that's not absolutely not you, I'm just saying my concern is when I see people who were fine with having media were completely homogeneous, uh, ruled by the same people, and obviously there was that, you know, filtering going on. And now when it's people who used to not be filtered, now they're going to start to be filtered by some corporation. People are now panicking because it's happening to white men in a way that it was not happening before. When you have that double standard, I see that the concern is not really about free speech. It's about free speech of right-wing white men. And that's not necessarily the most noble cause ever, as opposed to trying to come up with a society where everybody has a voice. And if you want to go there, then you need to acknowledge that we've never had that uh, in our media environment. And it's not something that's changing now. It's something that never existed and needs to be built from scratch. I know, but you're talking to a a, a hopeless refugee from a brief moment (laughs) when it seemed like my whole identity as a media creator uh, comes from this little sliver of time when it seemed like the three network universe was being destroyed and we could rebuild something where those voices could have. And now we're cheering because like three companies are once again seizing control. And yeah, you're talking about like the nineties internet. I'm talking about the nineties internet, man. (laughs) We once dreamed a dream. Listen to this. This just came in, Emily. It doesn't come from where you think Airbnb is now blocking and canceling all reservations in Washington, D.C. during the week of the presidential inauguration. They previously said that they would bar any guests associated with hate groups or violent activity. Now, an app that lets you book apartments and rooms is not going to let anyone come to the capital of a democratic country during the inauguration of the new president, right? Like... Free assembly, does that matter? Like, we can't leave our homes right now, and we are doing all of our communication except for podcasting, which is a a wonderful little holdover from that 90s internet (laughs) early 2000s. Right. Like, it's I'm watching it all disappear, you know? It's a little strange. It's a little strange to be happy about any of these things. Yeah, no, I don't think people are happy about it. I think people are just, like I was saying earlier uh, in the show, we're trapped, right? And so I think now we're trapped in a decision where if it's either companies are trying to minimize the risk, right? Because if there is something that happened, definitely Airbnb is going to take some of the blame and the lawyers are, are, are at Airbnb are trying to protect Airbnb. But it's also, you know, trying to protect basically security. But the real issue is why we got here. You know, why we got to a place where that is even a question. And so, but because asking that question doesn't get us out of the trap, it just makes us look witty. We're stuck with making those decisions, right? But I don't think it's the issue is is Airbnb. I think the issue is... uh, Global capitalism is the issue that you're talking about, right? Concentration of power and wealth in the hands of a few people. And that is absolutely not a new reality, I guess is my point. I, I don't myself remember a time where things were different. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's been trending this way for a long time, but I guess it's a, a sudden and radical privatization of the public sphere. Right. That does feel new. 
when the media, traditional media, were running the public sphere, were they not private as well? It was just different then, wasn't it? Like right. they they, yeah. they completely dominated the corporatized side of it, which was, you know, the which was the, the lion's share. But right. then people found other ways. Right. And now it just seems almost uh, inescapable. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. Emily, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Everyone can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Emily, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, because Quebec uses Facebook too. Le Devoir and the Gazette. And increasingly here, really thrilled to have you on the team. Yeah, I'm really feeling welcome. So looking forward to the rest of the year for that reason, not the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our website is canadaland.com. Sign up for our newsletter because we put out a lot of great stuff each week and then we summarize it in the newsletter and give you some other stuff there as well. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt and our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to receive ad-free versions of our podcast and support our work, just click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. We rely on your support. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a campside media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.